0: Thanks for listening to FYI Stillwater, where you will hear information about your local government you didn't know you need to know, straight from the source. Be sure to check out other news and information from the City of Stillwater at stillwater.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Fletcher, Director of Marketing and Civic Engagement. Today, my co-host is Communications Coordinator, Megan Pardue. Hey, Megan, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Sherry? Good, good. So you're still working on the memes, right? Yes, I am. I'm slowly trying to get them out. Are you the memes queen?
1: Yes, I am. I pride myself on that.
0: So if anybody sees the City of Stillwater's Facebook pages, Twitter, and you like a meme, you can thank Megan.
1: Yeah, you know I'm the mastermind behind it.
0: She is. And
1: sometimes they're very witty, I think. (laughs) I try.
0: So who's our guest today?
1: All right, so today's guest is Captain Stevens from the police department. So to start this off, I'm going to start with some basic facts about the Stillwater Police Department. Uh, Their mission is basically to protect life, liberty, and property and preserve the peace of the city of Stillwater by aggressively pursuing all criminals and vigorously seeking their prosecution, working in partnership with the community and educating citizens in prevention, and patrolling all city streets in a highly visible manner to deter criminal activity. That was a mouthful. Okay, so that's just a few of the things that the police yeah, department does. there's quite does. a few
0: more on their mission statement. Yes. Yeah. So today we are going to talk with Royce. He's spearheading a joint mental health crisis center, and I think he's going to give us some background on a new officer. Correct. Yeah. So you can't see my air quotes, but I did put the new officer in air quotes. So welcome, Royce. Uh, Thank you. Have you listened to our podcast?
2: Um, I'm going to be honest and say no. I haven't oh my had a chance God. to listen to a podcast oh, yet. Can't I can't believe we have had I was him. chastised by we... Tommy when I came in, so. Uh,
0: I don't even know why you're in here then. Sorry. All right. We'll give you a pass. So you may not realize this today. We're going to start with a lightning round and ask you some random but revealing questions. Are you ready? I guess. He All guesses. Right. Yeah. I get to
1: ask them. All right. You go, I'm Megan. I'm torturer. All right. So what fictional world or place would you like to visit?
2: It's an easy one. Mayberry, North Carolina.
1: Oh, my goodness. Such an oddly specific place.
2: I am a huge, huge Andy Griffith show fan. Are you? Do you my watch all the show? reruns? I've I've got the complete set you watch on th- DVD and constantly watch
0: it. Do you? It. Yes. So you've got it all memorized? Absolutely. Because I know if I watched one, I would remember the whole show and all the jokes. Um, now, I'm not like a huge fan, but, but I could go spend some time in Mayberry.
2: Yeah. I, I wish that was a real place. It's based on... Um, Andy Griffith's hometown that he grew up in, mm-hmm. Mount Airy, North Carolina.
0: So the jail would would be like your ideal jail?
2: Yeah, I, yeah that Everybody, was what I wanted to be growing up was Andy Griffith. That'd be oh, great. have the Turns keys. out I'm more Barney, but You're I would love Barney. to be Andy Griffith. you got your
0: bullet yeah. in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. And then the keys would hang so that... Uh, Otis, Otis could reach out listen. there and get at exactly. the town drunk. I can see that Megan has never seen the show. <laughs> yes, I can I'm see obviously
1: it. one of the younger she people. She didn't even in the know what yet. Mayberry
0: was. Well,
1: I vaguely remember that show being on growing up. My older sister would watch it, but I haven't seen enough of it to know the location. So that mm-hmm. did not ring a bell for it me. It did not. I could me, she was a little dumb about them. Like, I just... thought that is like a <laughs> really specific town whenever you're talking about any fictional place ever you could visit.
0: That w- You was thinking like uh, uh, Lord of the Rings or yes, uh, some, uh, some wonderland. I could see you as a Twilight uh, <laughs> fan. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy's working that over in her mind over in the corner. <laughs>
1: team edward or team jacob is what tommy just
0: said and we didn't get an answer that was a random revealing question team edward or team jacob
2: you got to pick one.
0: <laughs> he doesn't know this fictional world either. <laughs> if it
2: wasn't made before probably like 1987, I have no idea. You know, All I, right. just, I just tuned out of society in 1987. So you know. Well, let it be
1: known that Captain Stevens cannot choose Team Edward or Team Jacob.
0: We'll choose for him. It's
1: career ending right there. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. What's one career you wish you could have?
2: So I am a huge classic car fan as well. I've owned, I don't know. 30, 40 classic cars in my life, probably. And uh, I I would love to own a classic car dealership.
1: So what do you own right now?
2: Uh, Right now, my two classic cars are a, I I got on it several years ago, I got on an International Harvester kick. You probably don't know what that is Mm -hmm. either, do you? Not at all. So International Harvester is known for making tractors and whatnot. But from 1907 to 1980, they also made passenger vehicles. Uh, They made the first crew cab pickup. They made the first production four-wheel drive vehicle, actually, that Factory produced four wheel drive vehicle for the public to buy. Um, they, they made a lot of things, so international scouts and things like that. I've owned 22 internationals. In my wow. Life. And uh, currently I have a 1974 international pickup that is all original. It came from Perry, Oklahoma, it was sold there originally. Uh, been here its whole life uh, completely original and i have a 1971 scout 800 that i So I'm do you
0: restoring. drive them or do sure. you just put them on a bed and take them to show? No no
2: i drive them i <clears throat> i had a a very nice show truck 67 crew cab pickup that uh, i took to shows for several years that i restored and mm-hmm. uh, i drove it every i put about 5000 miles a year on that truck.
0: Ah all right so what so what's the dream car the the elusive one that <clears throat> that you that if you got it, you would be fulfilled.
2: Oh, that, there's not one of those. There's not. No, I, you know, I would love to have a 62 vet. probably. The very first marked police car for the city of Stillwater was a 1939 Ford Standard sedan, uh-huh. uh, which is a one-year-only body style. Uh, if you go to the front lobby of the PD, you see a black-and-white photo of a black-and-white old Bright. sedan. Says Stillwater Police on the door. They actually uh, bought that car, uh, and it was all black, and it just said Police on the hood. In 1941, they got their first radio uh, mm-hmm. car, car to base station radio, and that was the first time they had uniforms as well. Uh, there's a great story of how Stillwater PD got their first uniforms. But in conjunction with that, they had enough money left over from their fundraising to uh, paint the doors of that car white and and paint the badge on or paint Stillwater Police on the door and I would love to recreate that car.
1: That would be so cool. No, that would have to be real. like the car mascot of the police department now, if you did
2: that. I've oh, been it. searching for a good candidate for that vehicle for about uh, two years now and have failed to find it. It's a, it a little yet.
0: elusive. It is. It's oh. a
2: one-year-only car and it was the standard. They made a deluxe version. People saved the deluxe versions because they were much nicer. Uh-huh. You see lots of those, but the front end of those are completely different, they look different. Mm-hmm it won't work. So uh it's very hard to find one of those.
0: Awesome. Well you'll have to keep us up to date on this. And we're gonna come back and you're gonna bring that story back too. All right. So uh, but today let's go ahead and start our, our regular interview with you. Um first of all I would like to know your career path. How did you end up captain of operations? What what got you here?
2: Well so um like I said I grew up wanting to be Andy Griffith. I always wanted to be a police officer, you know. And um, I was 20 years old in Dallas when uh, living in Dallas, Texas, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And uh, I was also a patriot. And I said, Mm -hmm. I'm joining the Army. And uh, I thought you joined the Army and they told you what you were going to do, you know. But I went and took a test and they said, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a cop. And they said, okay, well, we've got those in the Army too. So I became a military police Ah, officer. Okay. And uh, if you know the history of the Gulf War, it was over in like six minutes. So, you know, um, I was on orders to go to Kuwait when I joined, but the war was over before I could get out of training. And so they sent me to South Korea, and I was on bar patrol, basically. In South Korea, where I was stationed, uh, they had a bar district, kind of like Washington Street. Right. And so I I did some horrible physical security jobs. And then, uh, but I would go out two days a week and patrol the bars down there like a Mm -hmm. street cop, you know. Ah. And and then from there, I went to White Sands Missile Range. I worked in a traffic unit and um, then uh, was lucky enough to be selected to be a federal game warden there at White Sands. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, uh, I was also a sniper. And I got deployed several times as a sniper with um, Joint Task Force 6, which ran drug interdiction for uh, basically the southwest part of the nation and um, got very interested in drug interdiction and knew that I wanted to be a, a civilian police officer somewhere. And so in 1996, after five years in active duty, I finished my term of service and I got out. And through uh, various family situations, I knew I was going to move to Oklahoma. And I studied the area and decided that Stillwater PD was the PD to come to work for in this part of the state, and uh, actually anywhere in this state. and. Um, so I moved here. They weren't hiring. Um, OSU PD and, uh, opened up their hiring process shortly after Stillwater opened theirs as well. I applied for both. Uh, OSU PD called me and offered me a job, and so I took it. I uh, went to work there um and it was a it was a good learning experience when you get when, back then 96 when you went to work there uh, Everett Eaton was the chief at
0: uh-huh. I'm sure
2: you remember Everett
0: mm-hmm.
2: um he was the chief there and it was kind of back then it was a stepping stone department not so much anymore people right. make careers out of OSU PD now uh but it was a stepping stone department and um uh, Chief Eaton asked for a two-year commitment when you went there. Shake his hand, and say I'll work for you for two years. And on my second anniversary, I came to Stillwater and got an application. Oh yeah. And and applied. Took about six months for the process to finish out. And I came to work here in uh, May of 1999. Uh, 18 months later, I knew when I came to work here. Every officer we interview, we're going through you know hiring process right now. Every time we interview people. We always ask something like, where do you see yourself in five years if you get this job? And everybody always says, I'm going to be a detective, I'm going to be on the SWAT team, or I'm going to be a canine handler. Right. Well, I, I'm going to be a canine handler is what I said. <laughs> and um, I, uh, uh, 18 months later, just through uh, some weird circumstance, I found myself in a position to be able to apply for it um, and uh, was selected as a canine handler. And uh, loved it. That was just an incredible job. I enjoyed it. I did that for almost 14 years. Mm -hmm. It
1: seems amazing, and we actually had the canines on our podcast on a previous episode. And they
0: were very quiet. They didn't. They didn't make a sound. It's (laughs) like no. I thought they were going to kind of like, there. You could hear hear them and know they was in the room. But man, they were quiet. You know, it's kind of like they were. uh, They knew what was going on. They were attentive but they didn't make a sound. I was like, make them make a sound.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're incredibly well-trained mm-hmm. dogs. They yeah. really are. And it was a lot of fun. I did that for a long time. Worked a lot of um, drug interdiction, doing that. That was my main duty. That's the main duty of our canines here. Worked that for a while. Um, uh, retired Captain Dickerson. You remember mm-hmm. Randy Dickerson? Yes. well, And, and uh, he told me one day, he said, it is time for you to promote. And I didn't want to. I wanted to oh, keep my dog.
0: You liked your dogs? I did. I, I loved it.
2: <laughs> I said, I'm going to keep my dog till they wheel me out of here. And, uh, but he convinced me that it was time for me to promote. And so, um, I did, I was promoted to Sergeant in 2014, uh, and I was the head of the special projects unit. Right. Um, and so I did that for, uh, I don't know, three years or so. And, uh, I was promoted to Lieutenant and went back to patrol and worked patrol for about 18 months and, and expected to do that for quite a while. But, uh, chief McCarran um, decided to leave early, and and uh, just several changes in personnel, and um, found myself promoted to captain I know. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, way ahead of schedule. Right, <laughs> and um. so uh, I've been doing that for about a year and a half, and and so I, w- I was placed in the operations position. If you don't know, there's there's the chief and the assistant chief, and. Then there are two captains. Uh, the police department's basically split in half. Uh, the operations side, which is what I do in staff services, Captain Kyle Gibbs is staff services, and that in, uh, under him is the dispatch, the jail, the records, the majority of the uh, non sworn uh, um, employees that we have. And then uh, in the operation side, my side is the Criminal Investigations Division, the detectives, the school resource officers, the and and the patrol division. Right, so you're quite busy. Yes, we're all quite busy. Quite yes. busy,
0: yes. Uh, but you also uh, had mentioned to me that you're spearheading a uh, mental health crisis center.
2: Well, not a center, but oh, right. um, yeah, a unit. So uh, the um, you know mental health has has always been an issue for for law enforcement and dealing with, with mental health, you know, because, years ago,
0: cause you guys are the ones that take care of the people who are having meltdowns or the, um, they're living under a bridge or, I mean, you're the first point of contact
2: for a lot of these people. Exactly. So, you know, um, years ago they had, you know, what you would call a mental institution, a mental hospital mm-hmm. and things. And, and they've done away with those throughout the country through a series of lawsuits and litigation that have gone on. And, um, and gone to more community-based mental health, uh, which is what we have here, um, and uh, it is a it's a it's a good seems to be an effective system for the mental health, but it does put law enforcement in contact with uh, people in crisis quite often, and um, <clears throat> it takes very specialized training to to deal effectively deal with people in crisis, and um, more training. Um, to be truly effective at it than the average uh, police officer is going to get in his career. You know, there's people that go to school for seven years or call doctors, you know, to to deal with people in crisis and deal with people with mental health. But um, for for a crisis situation, um, it it would be great to have some really specialized um, officers that could go out and do that. And there are several departments, larger departments across the nation that have Gone to this type of model or going to it uh, probably the the most well-known is san antonio texas uh, hbo actually did a documentary on it uh, a couple of years ago and <clears throat> but basically what it does is it takes police officers and it gives them very specialized training on crisis intervention um, and that is their duty is responding to people in crisis um, and you know, I say that, and people go, well, really, do you, do you have enough of that to keep people busy? Right.
0: Like, what would be an example?
2: Um, well, so <clears throat> in Oklahoma, we have what's called emergency detention. So if someone is, is um, going to harm themselves or right. saying, I'm going to harm someone else, um, they can't care for themselves uh, because of some type of mental illness usually is what we're seeing there. Um, uh, we respond to those, and, and um, our recourse is to uh, – well, the way it works in Oklahoma is – Um, An officer would go, um, they believe that someone is going to harm themselves, and they will take them into protective custody. Um, The state of Oklahoma has kind of a gatekeeper system. For years and years here, it was Edwin Fair Mental Health. Um, About a year ago, Grand Lakes Mental Health took over that contract, uh, and we have had a great relationship with them, and their way of doing business has vastly improved our ability to serve our community, in my opinion. And um, the way that they interface with the patients um, has really uh, been beneficial to us. They opened a a crisis center in town, which also helps us because for years we would, you know, we would take someone to the hospital. Doctor would check them out, make sure there wasn't some um, uh, physical reason for what was going on with them. Um, a lot of times there was, you know, maybe drug or alcohol involvement and they might have to detox there or something like that. But then a mental health worker would evaluate them and decide whether or not they needed to be taken for some inpatient care or something like that. And so, um, Grand Lakes actually has a system where they have distributed an iPad to every single police officer and uh, it has one button on it, and you find someone who is in crisis, you hand them that iPad, they turn it on, and there's a real-time counselor that comes on and talks to them.
1: Oh, that's awesome. that out is what's the going future on. right there. Yes,
2: and they figure out what's going on, and then that officer takes them. But still, it ties up a police officer for a significant amount of time. Um, just, you know, I've got a few stats because I've been looking at this recently. So, you know, just to kind of give you um, you know, kind of a frame of reference. In 1999, when I started here, um, that year we had 60, uh, 61 emergency detentions where we actually had to take someone in custody. That has steadily increased and now we, we run about 265 a year. People that we have to take into protective custody to get them emergency mental health treatment. Um, we're on track this year To be our highest year ever, Uh, and we we will. I would not be surprised to see us break uh, or come very close to 300 before the end of the year. Do you
0: think the pandemic is obviously driving that?
2: Well, our numbers were higher even before the pandemic really really got going. Yeah, they they started out high this year. They started out high. January we usually we average over the past five years. We've been averaging 20. emergency detentions for the month of january for the past five years this year we had 33 in january alone so um every month with the exception of april um this year we have been higher than our previous years and so i I think we're on track to have our highest year ever so let's say all that to say it takes a lot of time Uh, and usually it takes two officers to deal with someone like that and you have to transport them if they're non-compliant. They can't go to the Stillwater Facility and we have to transport them to Pryor. So you can imagine contacting someone, having them evaluated, driving to Pryor, Oklahoma, and driving back. We've lost two officers for eight hours doing that. And so the thought process is that we would have a multi-agency crisis intervention team. Uh, We've We've been talking to Payne County. Uh, I have a meeting set up with uh, the incoming sheriff, Joe Harper, um, to to talk to him about this, to bring him up to speed on what we've been talking about, and uh, Chief Jones from OSU PD. And they are on board with supplying um, uh, manpower for this. And our hope is that eventually we would have a four-man team, probably two Stillwater officers eventually. We're, we're, we're very low on manpower ourselves right now. But hopefully two Stillwater officers, an OSU officer, and a Payne County officer, that, or deputy, I'm sorry, that would um, respond, that would be their duty, to respond to people in mental health crisis throughout Payne County. And in doing that, it's not just the initial response and freeing up officers to handle the regular street duties. It also; uh, these are people who are trained. They'll they'll be trained to to specifically deal with people in crisis, to to have extra de-escalation techniques, and and to be able to talk to people. They'll be dressed in, in you know civilian clothes and um, driving unmarked vehicles, and um, uh, being officers who who can sit down in a non-confrontational manner and talk to people. That are, that are in crisis. And help that sounds
0: them out. like something that was, would be very well received and very effective.
2: Oh, I, I think, and, and the places where they've done it, it has been very effective. And not only that, not only do they respond that way, but then they are the people who know all the resources. Um, you know, I would love to have a veteran on that team because a large number of our uh, people in mental health crisis are veterans. And someone who not only can relate to them, but know how to hook them up with with the right resources through the VA and things like that, and then have the time to go back and follow up with these people and make sure that they're they're going to their appointments, make sure they're getting the help that they oh, need. that's
0: I, I can see a lot of value in that because you're building a relationship, because because they tend to be in the community, and it's a continuous. Uh,
2: absolutely it's just like anything else they we have you know there's a repeat. high risk yeah yeah repeat repeat uh customers there in that and so if you have someone who follows up with them i think that would drop off i you think know, so I think, too yeah they would they would you they can wouldn't come get to know crisis. and trust
1: that this specific person is going to help you that's right you're building like a relationship with them
2: and they're 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 checking in with them and making sure that they're going and getting the help they need and i think it'll stop future crisis for those folks
0: mm-hmm. wow that is awesome Um uh, We'll have to talk to you a little bit more about this uh, in the future. Um, And by the way, I I
2: want to give credit. Uh, 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 Vice Mayor Darlington actually um, brought that – the documentary that I was talking about, uh-huh. to Chief Watson said, "This is really interesting. I'd like you to." Watch. And Chief Watson got really excited about it, really on board with Cause, it.
0: Because mental health is is her focus. Uh, so sure. Counselor Darlington is also uh, a mental health professional here in town, long career, uh, and she has mentioned you know lots. I think she was instrumental in bringing uh, Grand Lake here as well. So uh, yeah, just a. She's she's really in tune to the needs of the community as well. So yeah, Uh, hats off to to Councillor Darlington.
2: I really hope we can pull this off. I hope uh, right now we're in a hiring process. We're uh, I've been here for you know at Stillwater PD for 21 years. I don't know that we've ever been fully staffed, and it oh really you know and it takes a long time to hire uh, and vet people to be officers. And we have um, the if not the it's it's one of the top few longest training programs in the state for a police department. If we hire someone who's uncertified, never been a police officer, it takes right out a year to get that person out on the road as a police officer. So when we have vacancies, it's a long time to hire, yeah. a long and, time and to get them out. And very
0: selective. And we get people to apply. I mean, it's not like nobody's applying. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it is a strenuous uh, uh, selection process well, to I'll, even get I'll, them there.
2: I'll tell you this. Uh, the last hiring process, I believe we had 136 applicants. We had five positions to fill. We only filled four. Wow. We mm-hmm. couldn't even find the wow. fifth applicant that, that we wanted amazing. to accept. Um,
0: so people can be rest assured that the, the police officers are screened and vetted uh, and trained. Uh, Not absolutely. just anyone is out yeah. on the street. Absolutely. Now, I alluded to earlier that where you have a new officer, again, you don't see my air quotes. Uh, so what am I talking about, Royce?
2: Well, um, Investigator Elliot is one of our canine handlers, and his current uh, dog is Pito. Actually, Pedo is very dear to me because he was my last patrol dog. Um, I went and selected Pedo in July of 2012, and he was my dog until I left the canine program mm-hmm. or the canine position and Detective Elliott was chosen as the handler, and um, he took over Pedo, and he has had him since. Well, Pedo has been our longest serving police canine in the history of our program. And, uh, so he's, he's right now, nine and a half years old. We've had him just over mm-hmm. eight years and he deserves to retire. So, that's so what, what
0: happens? At. So, so what's their retirement program? What, what do they get? What's their perks? So where, where do they go?
2: So what happens is the handler when a dog is retiring from service, um, the handler, of course, the handler always wants to keep their dog right. because they're, they're part of the family. Uh, and so, um, uh, now they're, they're owned by the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're expensive those dogs cost between uh, depending on what type of training the dogs have they cost between eight and fifteen thousand dollars but they oh, are so they cute. do belong to the city
1: I cute. always see, like, service dogs or police mm-hmm. dogs on the street, and I just want to pet them so bad. But I know that they're a working professional, yeah. and I it, cannot pet them.
2: Well, the, the protocol there is ask the handler, can I pet them? And they will tell you yes and or no. You shouldn't, shouldn't have told or, me that. Yeah. I
1: will right. ask every person yeah. I see.
2: Yeah. Now, if it's a, if it's a true, like a, a service dog, like a personal service dog, usually, almost always, they will say, no, you can't pet my dog. Um, while they're working. And there's good reasons. Yeah, Yeah, I understand. There's good reasons for that. Now, police dogs, though, we are very selective in our dogs, and we make sure we get strong, social police dogs. And so all our police dogs have always been able to – we can take them in the middle of a kindergarten class and have them lay on the floor and kids pile on them and pet them and pull their ears.
0: That's what Megan Uh, wants. She wants a police dog in the
2: office. That's
1: my dream right there. Just please bring one in and let them lay on the floor next to me, and I will – cuddle all over him
2: well back to your question though so what happens is since they do belong to the city they can't give those things away Uh Uh, they're considered a piece of equipment Um, and so um, the uh, city manager sells the dog to the handler Uh, Mm -hmm. they cost a whole dollar and uh, usually norm mcnichol gives you a dollar before you have to pay him a dollar
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is awesome i had not heard that story before but I may offer $2. <laughs> uh,
2: I think, I think uh, yeah. Investigator Elliot would, would fight you pretty good to keep yeah. pedo. Because
0: uh, they are just
1: adorable. They you really You may are. or may not see my application. Yeah. <laughs> it might be coming through the police
2: department.
0: Yeah, because Megan wants to be a handler too. Yeah. yeah. It's a good time. So yeah. um,
2: we have selected a new dog, um, and uh, he was put out on our uh, Facebook page last week. His name is Rotex. I don't know what they're going to call him. I wouldn't call my dog Rotex. it will probably be Rower Tex <laughs> yeah. or something like that. I don't know.
0: But, Tex would work really well.
2: But uh, I've seen some video of him, and I am very excited to see this dog finish his training out here. He's going to be a great dog. He's, he's a pretty good-sized dog. Um, we, we go to um, uh, usually, uh, the majority of our dogs have come from a place called Von Lick Kennels in Denver, Indiana, and it's run owned and, and run by – probably the the he's basically the inventor of of modern U.S. police K-9 mm-hmm. methodology his name's Ken Licklider uh, and it is just an incredible facility and you go up there and they've got 150 dogs sitting there for you to choose from and so uh, investigator Elliot's going through a new handler class up there he's he's been a handler for several years but we had the opportunity to send him to another handler class can't have too much training and it's kind of a package deal buying the dog right and we hadn't planned to do it till this spring but um one good thing from covid has been that uh just like our city we we stopped all uh spending on on a lot of things Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but uh so did other cities and so they had a backlog of dogs and so they actually put them on sale Right. And so a half-price sale for a police dog. Oh,
0: my goodness. Things you don't expect, right?
2: Exactly. And we had, you know, if you'll remember back when Zena, our, uh, one of our police dogs unexpectedly, passed right. away a few years yeah. ago, um, we did a community fundraiser. Our goal was to raise um, about 20000 We raised about 38000
0: Yeah, community and, responded. Oh,
2: uh, yeah, incredibly well. And so um, we had that money in an account for our dogs, and uh, this, this opportunity came up, and uh, that would, that's what it was given for, was right. to replace a canine. And so uh, city council approved us to go ahead and, and buy the dog now.
0: Yeah, because it does make a lot of uh, sense. Uh, it's good use of taxpayer dollars. Uh, watch those. Uh, well, these were donated dollars, but still, you know, just good stewards of the money. And uh, now we have a new dog. we got to go meet it.
2: Absolutely. So, yeah. wait,
1: is Investigator Elliot about to have two police dogs in his home? He, he will oh my God, I need to join this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he That's will. my he, dream. Um, you know, it's really great because we get up there and you're, I, I've been a, a master trainer, me and, and Detective Comstock, who's now a retired police officer. Uh, we went up to Von Lake and went through a master trainer course and we got to train the dogs and you see how they work and, and, and how they're brought from overseas and imprinted training. And you know that just like anywhere else, there's, there's really great ones, and, it, you know, it's a mm-hmm. sliding scale down, you know. And so you go there, and I don't know how many people were in the class, in the handler class this time, but let's say there's 25 of them. How do you pick the dogs? They all show up on the same day for dog selection. Well, they do a kind of a lottery system up there, uh-huh. and we were lucky enough to be the third picked uh, for the lottery. The thir- first two people that were picking had specific things that they needed based on their department needs, and their needs did not require them to pick the best dog. And uh, so they didn't. Uh, wow. They, and uh, every trainer there knew that Rotex was the best dog in the kennel. And Detective Elliott was the third pick and got to take the dog. That
0: is awesome. So we, we
2: really lucked out. He's got a great dog coming back home. I'm so sure the police will benefit, benefit from this. This?
0: Did you allow your dog in your classic cars?
2: Um, yeah, actually I did. Um, Hey, uh, you know, because they live with you, they go home yeah. with you. And uh, I would take, uh, uh, I had three three dogs. I had, uh, Pito was my last one. My middle dog was Bear. And my first dog was Mako. And Mako was a big lap dog and loved everyone. And if I went somewhere, he wanted to go. And so he routinely rode in my yeah. cars with me. Road shotgun. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and being our guest today. Uh, if we um, want to get a an update on the mental health crisis unit? Will you come back and talk to us? Absolutely. I'd be really and excited to. And you seem to have a great history of the police department. Is that something you could come back and tell us uh, some of these things and maybe go into that car a little bit more?
2: Uh, I would I would love to do you that. Would? Yeah. would? Right. Uh, you know, uh, retired Captain Kurt Mittelstadt, uh-huh. um, you know, he was kind of the department historian. Yes, and, and he was. Our, our historical display that we have out front, mm-hmm. the police department, if you haven't seen that, it's pretty neat. You ought to go by and look at it. Uh, but he he set that up. He was instrumental in getting that set up and collecting all that. And and I learned a lot from talking to him and just the archives upstairs that we have. Things uh, that I've been able to go through and see. Because you really want to go back to Mayberry. So I do absolutely.
0: That's, that's kind of you're recreating Mayberry. I would in love the to lobby. have that. Yeah, I would love uh-huh. to have
2: that 39 Ford and uh, one of our original 1941. Like jacket uniforms and Uh take that in parades for us and stuff. It'd be awesome.
0: All right. Well, we're going to bring you back, and we're going to talk history and all the other activities you got. Well, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: You bet. Thank you.
0: to the mailbox. You know, the city of Stillwater gets uh, questions from a lot of different sources, uh, social media, phone calls, emails. So today's question comes from Twitter and the Ginger Greg man asks, how do I report or find out on power outages? We get this question quite a bit. So uh probably doesn't hurt to give the answer one more time
1: yes so the city actually has an online tracking tool and it's really cool because all you got to do is go online to our website click on the link to it which it's on our homepage at stillwater.org and then you can type in your address or your account number with utility and billing and track your outage you can report your own outage look and see if there's anyone else around you And then you can also track it to completion. And you can see if trucks have been assigned, if they're coming out to help you, and when power is is restored. It is a lot of
0: information that people are seeking. So, uh, you know, that is the best way to find out about a power outage.
1: Yes. And then also, if you don't have access to the Internet at the time because of the power outage or anything, uh, we also have a 24-hour assistance hotline as well. So be sure to go check that out at stillwater.org and keep that in mind next time your power goes out.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to FYI Stillwater. If you like this episode, help us out and give us a like or share us with your friends. Stay tuned for our next podcast. If you have a question for City Hall, email news at stillwater.org. And in the next podcast, we'll answer a few of them. FYI Stillwater is available on our website at stillwater.org, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you enjoy your podcast.